pray. Lord, when we say that we want you to fill our hearts today, we deep down we know what that means, and you do. So, you know, my prayer is that as we continue on in this worship service, that in surprising ways we'll work together here through our singing and through the ministry of the word, that when we leave the service today, it really will be true that you've filled our hearts. Only you can do that. Nothing else can fill our hearts but you. Pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, Paul's going to come back in just a minute and lead another song before we turn to the word. Uh, but before he does that, we have a few things we want to tell you about. So you can go ahead and grab a seat for just a minute. Here. Uh, if you don't know, my name is Seth. Uh, I'm the senior pastor here at Fellowship Alliance Chapel. And this is my lovely wife, Jenny. Yes, that's appropriate. There you go. Uh, now, as you can tell, this week we had so many hands. Our whole staff blocked off two days, Monday and Tuesday, and so many volunteers helped. I mean, at, at times over Monday and Tuesday, we're from like 8 a.m., some people were here till 10 p.m. At times 40, 50, 60 people were all here, and I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for what they did decorating out there, in here. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. Now, the focus and the theme for the whole month of December, week by week, as we move from now up to Christmas Eve, is this theme that you've seen on the little booklet that got handed out, on the little banners out in the parking lot, come home for Christmas. When I say the word home, everybody knows that that word evokes deep emotions. And everybody knows that every house isn't a home. There is a big difference between a house and a home. Um, Home is where you feel loved, welcomed, accepted. And the message of Christmas is that Jesus Christ made his home here with us so that people like me and you could be welcomed back into the home that we know that we long for, the home of our Heavenly Father. And that's our focus this whole time. Now, there's a few different things that we're doing in order to create not just a house of worship, but a home of worship this Christmas. Um, now, one of those things, it's Jenny and I just moved here six months ago, so this is our first Christmas with all of you. It's our first Christmas together. And everybody knows the best way to start off a great relationship at Christmas time between a new pastor and a new congregation is to throw a Christmas party together. So what we're going to do next Sunday night... So next Sunday, we're going to have normal worship services at 9 and 11. And then in the afternoon, the team's going to come in. And we're going to rearrange all the chairs. We're going to put tables and chairs in here. Uh, and we're going to throw a, just a good old-fashioned family Christmas party. Now, I know that some people, when we said family Christmas party, they thought what that meant is only if you have little kids, it's like a family event, we're going to make cookies. And that is true. But you tell me, at what age are you too old to make Christmas cookies? <laughs> Even better question, at what age are you too old to eat Christmas cookies? Right? I mean, yeah. Okay, so we're going to throw a big Christmas party here. And whether you've been here for six months like us or 40 years, um, you should be here. When I say the word family, it doesn't just mean young family. It means everybody who considers this church their family. We want to have a great Christmas memory. We're going to sing Christmas carols. We're going to have a kid story. We're going to have cookies. We're going to have an all-around good time. I just want you to know, um, when I gave this announcement this morning before the 9 o'clock service, I think we had somewhere around 500 tickets. Does anyone want to guess how many tickets we have left for this Christmas party now? 20. 
So two things that means. Anybody who's listening at the 9 o'clock service, this is a great scalping opportunity. You can make a lot of money selling these tickets. These tickets are hot. Uh, 20 of you can grab them. After that, we'll start a list and see if we can squeeze in some more chairs. We're going to throw a great party. Um, we're going to really create a sense of home this Christmas. Okay, now, one other thing. A lot of you guys are probably already getting phone calls and emails because the end of the year is a time when everybody in our nature, when we think about the great gift that we've received in the Son of God, for us this Christmas. It sparks up from our hearts a real spirit of generosity. And at the year end, this is our most generous time as a congregation. Uh, and so what we're doing is putting in front of our whole congregation kind of like a special project. The more generous we are as we reach the end of the year, the more money we're going to have in reserves to tackle a couple of special projects in 2022. And all those projects are all part of kind of one theme, and that is making this worship center, this great gift that God gave us in this worship center, feel more like home. If you've been around this church for a while, you know that in our old sanctuary, there was a sense of warmth in there that we have not quite captured that spirit of warmth in here. Like, for instance, uh, our, the sound system in here, it needs a good bit of warming up, right? We've got some work to do making the sound feel warm in here. I don't know if you noticed, but almost everything in this room is gray. <laughs> there are warmer paint colors in the palette. What we want to do is to, to warm up some of the paint colors to install some wood features in here so that it feels warm when, when, uh, when you come in here. The more generous we are towards the end of the year, the more we'll be able to tackle some of those projects in 2022. Uh, and I hope as you think about and reflect on the great gift that we've received in Jesus Christ, that what sparks up is not a fundraiser, not up here for a fundraiser. I'm up here saying, let's really respond in generosity. Uh, in this. Now, there's one other very special way that we want to warm up Christmas, and sweetie, this is your cue. <laughs> well, uh, I love all of your great warming ideas Thank of the you. room. Thank I you. think that was a big hit with everyone. But one thing I know is something that really warms a place uh, are people. And so I have two of my favorite people here, and I think they're two of your favorite people, and I'd like them to uh, present the next announcement. So, with no further ado. Boy, oh boy, did we miss you guys so much. You may be seated. <laughs> it, it, thank you for, for honoring us and letting us be here, and uh, it, it's, we miss you a lot. Uh, last summer, we were running all over the place, seeing relatives, doing things. All, I won't get into it. This fall, we've been visiting all kinds of other churches around this area. My new assignment from God is to encourage other pastors. So I've been meeting with them and taking them out for lunch and doing all kinds of different things. Got a group starting in, in January. In fact, tomorrow morning, I speak to a breakfast of about 50 different pastors down in Hamilton. I have a great ministry that way and doing a lot with grandkids. But we've been watching you. We've been watching you online every weekend since I left because we missed you so much. I'm not kidding you. And another pastor told me, he says, the people you're going to miss are the people in church, the ones you see every week. That's, and it's so true. I miss you terribly. Um, sorry to say I can't stay after this service. We have a previously planned birthday party we have to be at with the family, with the grandkids and everything. So, But we'll come to the service next week because I get to stay here all time now. <laughs> So I'm so excited about that. 
You know, it's actually been good. It's been good for me to, to be away. It's been good for me to not have the, the stress and the burden of, of leading the church and being the shepherd. And Lori and I have had to learn. We, we're sheep now, like you. We're not uh. shepherds. We got, yeah. <laughs> we got a new shepherd. And it's been good for Seth and Jenny to be in charge and to be, to, to be the leaders here and to be the pastor here. And you know what? Honestly, I am so proud of Seth and Jenny. Because, yes, amen. Give my hand. Uh, remember, I don't know if you remember, I gave two charges to him. Preach the word out of the book of Second Timothy and love the people. And he's done, you guys have done awesome. Yeah, check, check, you did it. And you guys, I am so proud of you because I challenged you with the same thing. I said, listen to the word preached, and, which has been easy, right? Good word. And then secondly, love your pastor and you've done great. Give, me, give yourself a hand. God bless you guys. So there's a few more things Lori wanted to talk to you about. So. Yeah, I mean, I have to say something too, right? Yeah. So um, it was just a couple weeks ago, we were having dinner with Seth and Jenny, and they popped the question. Yeah. <laughs> You want to come home for Christmas? Yes. And uh, when they We're did home. that, they gave us this beautiful thing to hang on our wall that says, so good to be home. Amen. And uh, I told Jenny when I got home last night, I realized they had said that about a hundred times. <laughs> the service, it is really good to be home. So um, we're grateful, like Marty said, for the things God did in our hearts while we were away. And one of those things was to deepen the appreciation we already had for being part of a church family and just kind of confirming something I've always thought, that it's not good for people to be disconnected from a church family. Now I know that to be true. <laughs> so we're really grateful to be back. We were, we were connected. We were watching every weekend. Couldn't wait to hear Seth's sermons every weekend. But I just want to say, if people are watching online and they have a choice, that doesn't hold a candle to being here. So we're really grateful to be here. Thankful to Seth and Jenny for opening the door to invite us back. Thankful to all of you for the warm welcome and for making this place so beautiful. The Christmas stuff is over the top. And everybody that knows me knows I like over the top. <laughs> so um, Christmas at church is probably the most wonderful season. I looked forward to it every year because it's the perfect time to invite people and for us to capture people's hearts for the kingdom. So I hope you're thinking about this this Christmas season. And when we look back over all the years at FAC, so many memories are connected to Christmas time. So whether it was year after year of, you know, the ladies' Christmas banquet, four nights in a row, I just talked to somebody at the 9 o'clock, that's how she came to Jesus. And their life was changed forever. Four or five nights of the cantata, the Christmas Eve service. Hey, remember last year doing it outside while the, it was supposed to be raining and we were praying for the rain not to come? I mean, so many of our memories are Christmas memories because... We understand that at Christmas time, people's hearts are more receptive, and we don't want to lose that opportunity. So um, I hope you're thinking about that, who you're going to bring, because when they come, they're not just going to be here for a service. They don't even know, but they're walking into a place where the Spirit of God dwells, and a lot of people have never experienced that before. And when they do, they probably can't even put words to it, but something happens in their heart, and they start to hunger after God. So I hope you're praying about that. Marty and I are already thinking, who are we going to bring? And this is so fun because we don't have to work on Christmas Eve. It's going to be great. Love you, Seth. Yeah. So, um, 
<laughs> so who, who does God want in our life that needs to come home for Christmas? I hope you're asking him that right now because this is our call as God's people. It's a call to hospitality. Seth understands that so beautifully that this is the space where we need to make warm and people feel welcome and they feel at home. Huge first step. But the second step is flinging the doors open and that's your job. We got to invite people and help them to know that we're making room for them here. So I hope you're going to be praying about that, taking it seriously this Christmas. It's true. You know, uh, when I see what's going on in our country, I hold out no hope except for revival. I mean, and who, who has to be revived? You, me. And the ministry God's called me to is help pastors experience renewal. That's where I'm going right now. Because a pastor's renewed. Maybe his church could be renewed. Maybe the country could be renewed. The soul of America needs to be changed. And you know what has to happen? The church. That would be you and me, right? We need to be the church. And I'm really asking you at this Christmas season to kind of re-up, you know? To say, okay, I'm going to rededicate myself to being the church, to being part of the church, the, the family of God. That's what coming home for Christmas means. It's like I'm part of the family here. And um, inviting new people to come, seeing one of your friends or neighbors come to the Lord, there's nothing, nothing more exciting than that. And uh, I, so I'm going to pray right now for our offering time and giving, because you were challenged with a couple giving opportunities. And right now we know that through December is when many people in church give even more because we realize this is our opportunity to bring in the harvest, to see more people come to Christ. So I'm going to pray that you would give generously, but also that you would invite that person. Is it someone in the neighborhood that God would show you? Is it your friend? Maybe it's a relative. So let me pray about those things right now. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we need to be revived. We, we, we want to stand before you and rededicate ourselves to being the church. The only really, really hope that we have or America has is a soul change. And at our very heart, Lord, we know we need it. And we know we have uncles, aunts, and moms, dads, and children. We know we have people around us in our neighborhood and our friends at work and people that need the Lord badly, really, really bad. And our cultural, moral downslide is revealing it more than ever. So help us be bold, Lord. Give us boldness. Give us courage. Help us not be timid and afraid. Help us be strong in our commitment to you through our giving, through our rededication of ourselves to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'll see you around. I'll be here. I love you guys. Glory with you. See ya. Bye-bye. Man. Okay. Um, Paul's going to come back out, and he's going to lead us in a worship psalm. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. Paul's already mentioned a couple words that have been part of our singing that are part of a rich vocabulary of faith. Emmanuel, God with us. We sang a song about adoring God. Now the, one of the words in this next song is about beholding him.
It is true with real eyes of faith, spiritually, we can see the divinity and the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. And this time of year is the time we really focus on that. And in just a minute, I'm going to come back out and we're going to turn our attention to the word. But right now, let's open up our hearts. Let's open up our spirits so that Christ can really touch us right now. Paul, would you lead us? Before there was light Walked across the pages of time He who made every living thing Behold Him He who heard humanity's cry Left His throne to wake as a child He became like the least of us Behold Him, Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, the Lamb, the roaring Lion. Oh, be still and behold Him. the blind, the lost, and the lame. Even now He is in our midst. Behold Him. He who chose the criminal's end, paid with blood to settle our debt. Buried death as He
Teach us to do that very thing, Lord. Teach us to behold you. Amen. You may be seated. Thanks. Appreciate it, Paul. Yeah. Paul, thank you. Yeah. So it's quite a week around here. Um, I asked our staff to all block off the full day of their calendar on Monday and Tuesday. And uh, we had kind of three shifts each day, a morning shift, afternoon shift, and an evening shift. Like I mentioned, there was some volunteers that were here till 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. And so we blocked off those two days and kind of got the place all ready. And then I asked them to also block off half of the day on Thursday. Uh, because I was going to throw a little staff Christmas party. And uh, so we had a staff Christmas breakfast. Do you know how to turn breakfast into a Christmas party meal? Let me tell you, if you want to take notes, you can write this down. Three key ingredients. Step one, Chick-fil-A chicken. <laughs> Step two, hot, crispy waffles. Step three, syrup to bring the two together. Okay? So, you know. You, if you use that, you don't have to credit me. I didn't invent it. We just borrowed it. But we had ch chicken and waffles. It was a terrific breakfast. And then afterwards, we played this game. You might have played it before, too. You set a certain price limit. Everybody brings a little gift. Put them under the tree. Then you take little pieces of paper with numbers on them. Hand out the numbers. Uh, and then, you know, one by one, a person goes to open up a gift. Except there's a dark twist to this game. And I'm just really surprised because I thought what we had on our staff was good-hearted, Christian, evangelical people. But what I found out was that the, fun, the funnest part of this game, I thought it was opening up a great gift and seeing the joy on people's faces. But I never saw people have so much fun stealing things in my entire life. <laughs> But the moment where there was the most laughter, we played this little table game. So we're sitting at four tables, about six of us per table. And we're playing this game. And I, I promise, we were about halfway through the game. And I sort of sat back and looked around. And people at all four tables were roaring in laughter. And the reason why is because this, this game that we were playing, it was called Telestration. So let me kind of explain the game. Everybody, all six people around the table, got a little dry erase pad like this. So they write their name in the little box. And then everybody opens it up, and there's a spot right here for the secret word. It was Christmas edition, so everybody had to come up with a secret word that was Christmas-related. Then the next thing they would do is they would write their own word in there, and then they would illustrate it like a little Pictionary sketch, and then put it face down on the table for the next person. Next person picks it up, and they can't look at the secret word. The only thing they can look at is the picture, and they have to guess what the secret word is. They, then they make a guess, then they put it down for the next person. Next person looks at the guess, and then they have to draw a picture on the next page. That happens over and over six times. You do not want to know what happened at my table when the secret word was, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. You, you don't want to know where we ended up at the bottom line of that. But the funniest part of this game is basically how many wild twists and turns can we get from the original secret message to the kind of final version. Now, this is funny in this game. But the Christmas story is nothing like that. But some people think that it is. Some people think that what happened at Christmas is a normal person named Mary and a normal person named Joseph had a normal baby and he was just Jesus. And ever since then, people have been turning the page and adding more and more things to it. And so now what we have is an invented version of Christmas. But Luke, the doctor who wrote the Gospel of Luke, will not let us think this. One of the things that he says at the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke is he says that he interviewed the eyewitnesses. 
Now remember, Luke was not there as an eyewitness to these events. But he had many years with both the Apostle Paul and then many years in Jerusalem to interview people. And he wrote down the eyewitness accounts and he collected the things that people wrote. And the word that Luke uses is he says he retraced their steps back to the very beginning. So when Luke tells us the story of what happened at Christmas, he has not embellished it generation after generation. It's the opposite. He's gotten back and he asked the original people whom Christmas happened to. Shepherds. Angels. Mary. The Christmas story, it's all true. It's all profoundly and deeply true. And what we're going to do all through this series is we're just going to open up the Gospel of Luke and we're going to look at one person's life after another person's life and the miracles that happened at Christmas. Now today, what I'm hoping to do is to call us all as a congregation um, to really treasure what happened at Christmas and rededicate ourselves to a Christmas season of real heartfelt prayer. So now, we're going to turn our attention to God's Word. I'm going to ask you to grab your copy of God's Word that you brought with you. If you didn't bring one, we're going to be a good host and put the verses up on the screen. You can turn to the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to start at chapter 1, verse 1. Um, and because this, even though I'm going to, you're going to hear me talking, and even though Luke is the one who recorded these words, the Bible teaches that Luke recorded them because he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. These aren't my words. They're not even only Luke's words. This is God's Word. And to honor God when he's speaking his word, I'm going to ask that we stand to our feet. And not only physically are we standing at attention, but our hearts are ready and prepared to be open and receive. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you've been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. We're going to come back to that. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John." And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just." 
to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for these next few minutes. Open up our minds and our hearts spiritually so that all the life that comes from what happened in Zechariah's life on this day in the temple, what happened in Elizabeth's womb in this event, would come home in our hearts this Christmas. I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now we know from the book of 2 Timothy the kind of guy that Luke was who wrote this down. So not only in the first verses did he tell us about his methodology. He's not making it up. It's not once upon a time. He interviewed many, many witnesses. May I ask a question? Who could have told him about what happened to Zechariah when by himself he was in the temple and the angel named Gabriel had a one-on-one conversation with Zechariah? Who could have possibly told Luke about that conversation so he could write down what Zechariah said? Now, Zechariah got visited by the angel Gabriel, and not long after this, we're going to see that Mary has an interaction with the very same angel, and Elizabeth, Zechariah's wife, and Mary are related to each other. In fact, Mary goes to the hill country of Zechariah and Elizabeth and spends months there. It has to be that Luke sat down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and remember, she stored up and treasured all the little tidbits and details about everything that happened in her heart. This means that you and I, when we read the Gospel of Luke, tell us about the Christmas story, you are one eyewitness away from the person whom these amazing events happened to. And the kind of guy that Luke is, he's not the kind of guy who's untrustworthy or a cheat. We know from 2 Timothy that at the very end of the Apostle Paul's life, this is the Apostle Paul who brought Luke to Christ on his missionary journeys over towards Europe. At the very end of Luke's life, when he writes 2 Timothy, he is in the Mamertine dungeon in Rome. He's been arrested. The Mamertine dungeon was, a, was an old cistern that was dug out to hold water. After it was no longer in use, they turned it into an underground prison. Luke writes, or sorry, uh, the Apostle Paul writes 2 Timothy. And in Timothy, he says he wants Timothy to come to him. And he's at the end of his life. And when he comes to him, he wants him to bring him a cloak because it's cold in this miserable dungeon. And he wants his books and he wants his parchment papers. And he's painting a picture of the end of his life in a cold dungeon just before he's executed. And he says lots of people have abandoned him and have been ashamed of him, but there's one man who stuck with him all the way to the end. Do you know who that was? It's Luke. Luke took care of the Apostle Paul all the way to the end. You want to know something else that Luke took care of? Luke took good care of Christmas. 
Luke is the only one to record the details of what happened with Zechariah and the angel Gabriel in the temple. Luke is the only one to record the Magnificat. We would not have the Magnificat recorded in Scripture. My soul magnifies the Lord, Mary said. We wouldn't even have that if it wasn't for Luke. Luke, in great detail, paints the picture of exactly what happened at Christmas. And it's an amazing, incredible story. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth don't live in the hill or don't live in, in the city of Jerusalem. They live in the hill country of Judea. The hill country of Judea would be like the Nebraska of Israel. It's kind of a heartland. Um, and it says that, that both Zechariah and Elizabeth are devout. They're, they're pious. They care for the Lord. They obey the commandments. This is a good reminder that even though th- Caiaphas and Ananias and wicked Pharisees in the city of Jerusalem took the Jewish faith and twisted it, there were still many, many devout people. So much so that in the book of Acts, we, uh, in, through the ministry of Stephen, we find out that many, many priests who saw the ministry of Stephen convert to Christianity. We can't paint all of the Jewish leaders with a broad brush like that. So Zechariah and Elizabeth live in the hill country, and we find out that both Zechariah and Elizabeth can trace their roots right back up a great family heritage all the way back to the line of priests. Zechariah's line goes up through a priest named Abijah. Elizabeth's line goes up through Aaron, Aaron, Moses' brother, the priest. Now, there were many, many priests in the nation of Israel. At this time, there would have been about 20,000 priests, some who lived in Jerusalem, many who lived in all the other towns in Israel. And there were three really high holidays where all the priests from the entire country would descend on the city of Jerusalem because there was lots and lots of ministry to happen. Um, It's sort of like, were you ever younger and you worked at the Gap at the mall and you tried to ask off at Christmas time and they said, look, nobody's getting off at Christmas, right? Everybody's got to work. It's all hands on deck. This was what it was like for these three special weeks. But the other 49 weeks of the year, there was too much ministry in the temple for the, only the priests who lived in Jerusalem. So depending on what family you were a part of, the, uh, the, the priestly families rotated going up to Jerusalem for duty. So we know that Zechariah was from the line of Abijah, which means he was eighth in the rotation. So two different times of the year for a whole week, Zechariah and all the rest of the priests that were in the line of Abijah would travel up to Jerusalem and stay in Jerusalem and minister in Jerusalem that week. So Zechariah goes up to, he leaves Elizabeth at home. She's older. He goes up to Jerusalem for his service. Probably over a thousand priests would be in the line of Abijah and go to the temple. Lots and lots of duties. But of all the thousand that would have gone up that week, there was one of them that would be specially chosen to do one of the most honorable things that any priest could do, except for the high priest. And this is go into the temple, past all the different courts, past the court of the Gentiles, past the court of the Israelites, even deeper than the court of the priests, past the altar of sacrifice, into the holy place all the way into the deepest part of the holy place, right to the altar of incense. The only thing that was beyond the altar of incense was the curtain that was in between the priests and the very holy of holies. And only the chief priest, the high priest, one time a year could go in there. It was an amazing honor to be selected for this great duty. And what the priests would do in order to select who got to do it, they would draw straws, they would cast lots. 
And even though it was a total game of chance that made it so that Zechariah was the person chosen, the priest chosen to go all the way in, all the way to the altar of incense, even though it was a game of chance from a human perspective, the reason why Zechariah was chosen was not because of chance. It was according to God's plan. The angel Gabriel was going to meet him on this day with a special message that a prayer that he had probably stopped praying many, many years ago, that even though in his mind it was out of possibility, in God's mind, nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible. And so Zechariah goes in and he goes to the altar of incense. Now the altar of incense, like I said, would be right before the Holy of Holies. And it was, a, um, it was made out of wood, but it was covered over with gold. And it was about 24 inches wide, 24 inches deep, a square, and about 48 inches high. Be right about chest level. And the point of the altar of incense was to visually symbolize what prayer actually is. See, God in the Old Testament gave very specific regulations for the kind of spices and oils that would go on the altar. In fact, it was a very special job to be the perfume maker, to take all these oils and all these spices and put them in a mixture. And in fact, this was the only place that that mixture could be used. No priest could ever put two fingers in there, put it on his neck to smell good when he went home. That, that was not allowed. There was great consequences for that. They would put it on the altar. And then the priest would go back out to the altar where all the sacrifices. These are the sacrifices for sin. When they really did wrong things that really had real consequences, they would sacrifice. And that was a visual symbol that sin has real consequences that had to get paid. They would take fire from that altar and they would bring it over to these spices and oils and they would light that on fire. And when they lit that on fire, a great aromatic smoke would fill the temple and would rise up to the heavens. And on the walls on both sides were uh, uh, tapestry and gold illustrations of angelic creatures that were on the side. And the whole point for Zechariah and the whole point for the entire human race to learn from what was happening in this room is that there is a living God on a throne above the heavens and that living God hears prayer. And in the same way that the smoke, the mixture of all the spices rose up and was pleasing, it was a pleasing aroma. The point of that whole illustration is that God loves to hear prayer. He loves to be talked to. He loves to be thanked. He loves to be beholded. He loves to be adored. Not only would Zechariah do this inside, but just outside in the court of the priest, upwards of a thousand priests would be outside. And while Zechariah was doing the incense, those priests would be praying, God, please help us. God, please help us. Not only about a thousand priests would be praying for God's help, but just beyond that in the court of the Israelites, Luke tells us that multitudes of Israelites are out there. This means probably tens of thousands of Israelites are waiting outside and they're doing the same thing, quietly praying, joining with the priests. God, please help us. Tens of thousands of Israelites, a thousand priests, and Zechariah. And then what would typically happen is the, the priests who would offer the uh, the sacrifice of incense after he was completed this was the evening prayers then he would go back out and stand in front of everybody tens of thousands of people a thousand pastors and he would say a word of blessing after the prayer you ever seen when the pope does a kind of like a popely address he'll be up on a balcony and there's thousands of people down there and the pope will come out and do something just picture that in your mind that's what everyone was expecting Zachariah on his special moment 
the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him to offer the incense and then go stand out in front of the people and say a word of blessing. I mean, this was the peak of his priestly career, except he went out there to stand in front of everybody and he couldn't say a word. And the reason why he couldn't say a word is because something happened in the temple. What happened in the temple was when Zechariah was standing in front of the altar of incense, standing in front of the altar of incense, gold on both of the walls, images of angels on there. Would not have been surprising for Zechariah to see an angel on the wall. It was very, very surprising to see a real-life angel right in front of him. See, this is what the Bible does to us consistently. It forces us into a decision. And the decision is, do you believe? Luke is telling you that Zechariah in that temple had a face-to-face encounter with a creature called an angel. And not only any angel. The angel identified himself with a name. This isn't one of the angels. This is one of the chief angels, the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel and Zechariah talked to each other. You and I do not live in a world that has a lid above it. Above us, way above us, there is a great throne called the heavens. And on that throne is a holy, holy God, maker of everything. Maker of angels, creator of the angels. We sang about that, angels in the realm of glory. Maker of the angels and maker of the whole world. Maker of you and maker of me. And in this meeting, Zechariah looked at this angel and the angel was not afraid of Zechariah. The angel was not impressed with Zechariah. The angel rebuked Zechariah. But Zechariah was blown away by the angel. And the reason why, there are two different kinds of angels. There are angels who have fallen and sinned, and because of their fall and sin, they've been on a downward spiral of ugliness for years and years and years. If you were to meet and be visited by one of the fallen angels, you would be horrified with what you see. But if you were to have a face-to-face encounter with one of the angels that was not fallen, had not lost one ounce of its original beauty and glory and majesty, you and I would have exactly the same reaction that Zechariah did. Fear and awe and wonder. You ever sit back and imagine for yourself, what did Zechariah see that day? What does Gabriel look like? What was the expression on his face? What did it feel like to be in the very same room as the angel Gabriel? And the angel Gabriel had a message for Zechariah. And the message is maybe one that you and I need to hear today. Prayers in God's house do not have expiration dates. Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for a child. And they had hoped to see the answer to that prayer happen during a time period when it was pretty normal to have children. And they had far surpassed that. So when the angel Gabriel tells Zachariah, Zachariah, I have good news from the very throne room of God for you. Elizabeth is going to have a child. You and Elizabeth are going to have a child. Zachariah makes a huge mistake. Maybe, maybe, maybe you've done this before. You ever had something happen where you start informing God why it's not possible for him to do God kind of things? Zachariah looks at Gabriel. Gabriel, you know, I I know you stand in the presence of God, and I know you guys see a lot of things, but I think you kind of missed it here. I don't know if you know this. Me and Elizabeth are not quite spring chickens, so to speak, and uh, what you're saying can't happen. And an angel like Gabriel is nothing to be messed around with. And Gabriel tells Zachariah, you shut your mouth. 
you're not going to talk. In fact, you're not going to say another word until these things are fulfilled. And the reason why is because you disbelieved the message that came straight from the throne room of God. Now, you and I, right now, it may feel like Zechariah's a million miles away. You and I are in the exact same position. I'm no angel Gabriel, although my middle name is Gabriel. I'm no angel Gabriel. So even though the messenger is different, I'm not an angel, I'm just a person. The words are the same. Gabriel came to Zechariah with the very words from the throne room of God. Do you know what I'm doing right now with this right here? I'm standing in front of you as the messenger. You don't have to, you, you don't have to believe me. That's fine. But what you and I must do is we must take seriously, this is the word of God. Zechariah met the angel Gabriel. And what the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, historically came true. There was a Zechariah, and he was married to Elizabeth. And when they were beyond their childbearing years, they really bore a child, John the Baptist. And nobody argues whether John the Baptist really lived. It's an absolute historical fact. And it wasn't Zechariah's faith that made that happen. In fact, Zechariah's response was exactly the opposite. The reason why God answered that prayer is because it was in his will from before the foundation of the world that a young boy would be born with fire. And he would preach fire. And his name would be John the Baptist and he was not to be messed around with. But the person that he would point to was really someone not to be messed around with because his name was Jesus Christ, God's own son. That was not just Mary's boy. That was God's divine son. This is the message that Luke came to bring us. And the message that you and I stand starkly in front of this Christmas. And I, as your pastor, want to challenge you for something over these next three and a half weeks or so leading up to Christmas. I'm asking you to make your own altar of Christmas incense. The Christmas incense. When Zechariah went to the incense, the incense was right on the altar. All the spices except all the beauty and the richness and the smell of that needed an active ingredient. It needed fire to unlock and unleash it and to fill the room with the aroma of the incense. And I'm asking you, would you take the real historical facts of Christmas, what Luke is saying, verse by verse, and I'm asking you if you would put that right on the altar, right in front of your face. What happened to Zechariah? What happened to the angel Gabriel? What happened to the shepherds? What happened when the Magi came? What happened to Mary? What happened to Joseph? What happened to Herod? All those events, and I'm asking you, will you put those on the altar right in front of you and then ask God through the fire of the Holy Spirit to stir up a passion in you, to stir up an affection in you so that the Christmas story smells beautiful and sweet to your heart all over again, whether it's your fourth time hearing it or four thousandth time hearing it. Can anybody ever extract all the sweetness out of Christmas that there is? Can anybody be at the end of saying, oh yeah, the divine son of God came in the flesh. I've heard that story four or five times. Let's move on to something way more interesting. There's nothing more interesting in all of human history except what happens when the creator God wrote himself into the story in the son of God, Jesus Christ, so that he could call people like me and you to come back 
to our home of the Heavenly Father, the Heavenly Father who sits on a great throne surrounded by millions and millions of angels who fall down and they worship Him. And that God cares about your little life and your little prayers. Could something else be better or greater news than that Christmas? Could it? Pastor Marty came out here and said, I hope we really rededicate ourselves to Christmas. And I'm asking, would you rededicate yourself to true Christmas prayer? Take the actual historical events of Christmas, put them right in front of your face, open up God's word and read it, and ask God the Holy Spirit to stir up a fire and an affection so that you experience Christmas way, way down in your heart. And God blesses you this Christmas. Would you stand to your feet? Let me close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for you. You are amazing. You made angels to delight in you, to celebrate you, to sing, to be your messengers, to be your servants. If one were to show up in the room right now, we would be blown away by their beauty and glory, and yet they can't hold a candle to you. Lord, we want to behold you this Christmas. God, I thank you that when we as an overall human race, when we snubbed you, said that we'd rather live life our own way. You didn't let us just wander off. You wrote yourself right into our world, born of a virgin, son of God, in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, to rescue us from our sins and bring us back to the home of the Father. The home we were made for, the home we long for, the home we never want to leave. Heavenly Father, bring Christmas home to our hearts this year. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray.